Let's turn this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 3. Let's bow together. Our Heavenly Father, we've come here this morning to worship Thee. We're thankful for this, the day you've made, and pray that we might be enabled to hear a word from thee, to rejoice in the word of our God, and to give thanks and praise thee in all things. Lord, we lift up our brother Jeff and ask that you continue to heal him, raise him up according to thy will. We're thankful for this opportunity to look into your word and to praise thy holy name. Forgive us of our sins for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. May he be exalted this day. We give thanks. Amen. Now the key to understanding Ecclesiastes 3 is in one word. If you see verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under heaven. Purpose is the key to understanding. Now, I know that modern American religion has no comprehension of God's purpose. And that's because their entire message is all one-sided. You see, their message is love without ever mentioning hate. It's preaching peace as if there is no warfare. They predict healing without the possibility of death. They prescribe only laughter, but no weeping. Dancing, but not mourning. And isn't this true in our day? They preach profit with no labor. They preach birth without travail. And on the authority of God's word, I promise you that message is not the truth. That message is not in accordance to the word of God. It's just not so. You know, in Adam's day, when he came, when he was created by our God, every day in the garden was a calm day. It's beautiful. But when Adam disobeyed God, when he fell, oh, the times they changed. Suddenly it was not all beauty and peace and love and, oh no, the times changed. Life became work, hard labor. And Ecclesiastes 3 is really better understood in the light of the last three verses of chapter 2. If you look across there at verse 24, we read, There is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink. Now pause there a minute. Nothing better. We better pay attention here. That he should eat and drink. Now does it say, let him drink and be merry? That's not what it says, does it? It says, I mean, are we supposed to just celebrate all the time? Every day is supposed to be a happy day. Just uh, party down all the time. Is that what it says? No. Read on. It says, and that he should make his soul enjoy the good in his labor. This had to do, notice, with the soul. It does not say that 
he should make his flesh enjoy good in his labor. We're supposed to feel good. We're supposed to be strong all the time. Everything be perfect. That No, no. It's talking about the soul here. The reason no, no one ever finds any true or lasting happiness in stuff, y'all all know about stuff, right? <laughs> stuff. Uh, you know, a bigger house is really not going to fix your soul. A better car is not going to make your soul any happier. More of any and everything is not the cure. That is simply trying to satisfy the flesh of which there is no end. You can get a brand spanking new great car. Danny was just telling about this car he got a few months ago. He really likes it. Now, he's going to like it down, you know, months and years ahead from now. But he's not going to like it like he likes it now. And that's true with everything dealing with the flesh. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But to one who has the light of Christ in the heart, we realize. You see in verse 24, it says, the last phrase, this also I saw that it was from the hand of God. You see, all we have, whether it's a small amount or a great fortune, whether it's many possessions or just a few, all we have is a result of our labor is from the hand of God. Now listen to me here, what I'm about to say. Our God gives us each and every one of us, exactly as much as he deems good. To the believer, there's nothing better than the wise and prudent use of whatever fruit comes from God's hand as a result of our labor. Now listen to me. If you won't work, don't expect anything. That's just when Adam got tossed out of the garden, he said, now I used to give it all to you, he said, now I'm going to give it to you still, but it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. And if you don't work, don't expect, to, don't expect anything. You know, that will give us soul enjoyment and contentment, genuine peace of mind and heart, understanding whatever we have, that's just exactly what God intends for us to have, no more, no less. Now look at verse 25. It says, for who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? What that's saying is Solomon who wrote this is saying, and we do realize he had more stuff than everybody on the earth combined at that time. Solomon had just empty rooms in the palace, in the basement, filled to the ceiling with gold and silver and precious jewels. The amount of stuff he had was incredible. He said, no matter how much stuff you got, I had more. And God asked Solomon what he wanted. He said, I'd like to be wise. God said, you've chosen well. And he made him the wisest man that ever lived, save our Lord Jesus Christ. So Solomon here is saying, who can know more about this than me? He said, I'm the wisest as well as the wealthiest man of my day. And here is Solomon's conclusion. Look at verse 26. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. The key there is in God's sight, in his sight. God doesn't always give us what we want, does he? <laughs> and that's sometimes a good thing. And he doesn't always give us what we desire or what we think is best. He gives us what 
actually is best. What's best in his sight. And the reason for that is he sees the end from the beginning. His sight's that good. Our sight, you know what my sight is? I'm 2140 and 2080. <laughs> Not too good, is it? And the older I get, oh, you're, you're noticing, okay, right here, I'm blind. <laughs> here, I'm a little better. Okay, I can sort of read some of it now, oh, but with these, with the glasses. And you see what we need is we don't need glasses. We need God's sight. And here's where we find that right here in this book, okay? And spiritually, I was born blind, and now I only see through a glass dimly. I'd be wise to wait on God. His sight's perfect. God gives his people what's good in his sight. Did you notice the three things there in that end of that verse? He gives us knowledge of who Christ is, what Christ did, and why he did what he did. Boy, that's just, that's worth more than all the gold in the world. Wisdom, he gives us to wait on him and to be content. Look to Christ, rest in Christ, wait on Christ, depend on Christ. And then he gives us joy that comes in Christ, not in the stuff. There's no joy in the stuff. I know you kids, I mean, you know, right now, just man, other than that, what is it, I-4, the new phone or whatever they call that thing, I don't know, but, you know, or a tablet or that looks like just the greatest thing in the world. And I understand. Don't begrudge you having it. And if you need it, I hope you get one. But I'm saying there's no, you know, in a few years there'll be a bigger, better, newer, different. And then this one won't seem like so much. If we ever have Christ, there's nothing better than him. Nothing better. Look at what God gives the unbeliever in verse, the second half of verse 26. But to the sinner, the unbeliever, he giveth travail. That's un discontent, unhappiness. To gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. God gives folks over to the work and the pain and the turmoil, to the greed and the avarice, to the cunning and the shrewdness, to the vicious cheating and backstabbing, to get wealth even when it's not needed, more than can be used. Don't you wonder why? I don't even know Bill Gates. He may be a fine fellow. Why is he still working like he's working? I don't get it. I'd understand if he made all these gazillions and gave it all away and said, well, I better go get some more. I don't understand. But anyway, God gives men over to this stuff, the gathering up and the heaping. And the end of all their labor is no soul enjoyment. In fact, there's no satisfying the flesh. And in the end, it's going to go to somebody else. That's what that verse is saying. Either when we die, the, the, you all know the joke about the fellow at the funeral said, how much money did he leave? And the other fellow leaned over and said, every bit of it. He didn't take one dime with him. No siree. And so we're, it's going to go to somebody else either when we die. And let me ask you this it's going to wind up going to godly men. Let me explain this to you. Y'all ever hear of the company called Toyota? Big company. Makes lots of money. And you know where it's from, don't you? Japan. 
And man, tons of that money go back there to those fellows who started it and built it. That's fine. I got no quarrel with that. Okay. But do you know why that whole company exists? Well, there's those who say, well, you know, it, it, to make profits for the owners, to provide employment for thousands. Well, that may all be so, but you know what the real purpose is? To provide food and drink and for the sole enjoyment of some of God's chosen people in Lexington, Kentucky, who work there. That's the, you say, God has built a huge corporation like that that employs hundreds of thousands of people just to, for those four or five there in Lexington at Todd's Road? They'd go, Absolutely he would. Absolutely he would. He says, I'll sacrifice entire nations for thee. No wonder so many will be vexed at the day of judgment. All they've gathered up in the years is just wood, hay, and stubble. And you know what that stuff's good for? Putting on a fire. Understand these two great principles. Everything a believer receives comes from the hand of God. Everything a believer does not receive is withheld by the hand of God. Everything God gives his people is what's good for them in his sight. Now, chapter 3 begins, you see, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. To everything there's a season. They come and they go. You can count on them. Oh, did anybody feel the chill this morning? A little frost up here, wasn't there? What is that? Oh, we got a new season. Imagine that. And then it won't be that long. There'll be snow. A new season. Then it'll be spring. They just keep coming, don't they? And to every time, there's an occasion because God ordained it to be that way. Oh, he planned this to be that way. Every year, he's planned it. There's an appointed occasion. And each of these times is to teach us a valuable lesson. Danny's learned some lessons. When the frost comes, you know, you better get your hay in or... You know, I don't know the particulars, but when it gets uh, sub-zero, you don't leave the cows in the field. They'll freeze to death. And we learn, you know, you don't go to school in shorts and a T-shirt, Jeffrey, when it's 28 degrees. We understand, we learn things, don't we? These times teach valuable lessons, and they'll reveal in time the greatest purpose of our God. And these times are given in sets of two. And each of these times spans the full spectrum between two opposites. Now, I'm going to go through these, and I'm going to give you the primary application of this scripture when I do it. You see verse 2, it says there's a time to kill. Oh, and the opposite, a time to heal. You see, Christ had to die that God's children could be born again. Now, we know about killing and healing. In this life, don't we? Some people are going to die today, and some people we hope are going to get well, more well today. But the real application here is that Christ died so we can live. Then you see it says there's a time to break down and a time to build up. Christ came to plant righteousness, and our self-righteousness needs to be plucked up. You see, I'm sorry, I skipped a time to plant and a time to pluck up. Then a time to kill and a time to heal. Uh, 
you know, I've, I've got them out of order. I apologize. Then we go to break down and a time to build up. You know, Christ's body was broken. There was a time for it to break so that you and I can be healed. So we don't have to suffer what he suffered. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. We weep over our sin but rejoice in our forgiveness. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. We mourn over our sin, but we're so happy. We dance at the righteousness of Christ, which is ours. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. You know, there's a time to cast away our sin. We don't want it anymore. And there's a time to gather up his righteousness. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Embrace him. And then there's a time for us to stop embracing our sin. Stop running after it. There's a time to get and a time to lose. There's a time to seek Christ and a time to stop pursuing ourselves, our own lust of our flesh. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. Let's keep his righteousness and do away with our self-righteousness. There's a time to rend and a time to sow. There was a time when Christ was rent. He was, he, they tore his beard out in handfuls. They ran that spear up and cut him open. Why? So we could be stitched in to the body of Christ. We could become one with him. There's a time to keep silence. And a time to speak. You know, let's uh, keep our righteousness and let's do away with our self-righteousness. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a, you know, we need to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Christ endured the hatred of men that we might know the love of God. And then there's a time of war and a time of peace. The Lord Jesus Christ let men make war on him that we might have peace eternally in him. And that's the primary application of this entire scripture. It's what it's about. But now, listen to this. Every believer knows that something about some or all of these times. The older we are, the more likely we know more of these specific times. At my age, I know a little bit about all of these times. I went back to them and I said, yeah, I know about that. I know a little bit about that. I know. And some of these th times I know more about than some of you. And some of you know more about some of the others than I do. Why? Why is that? Because God in his providence, his good providence, appoints these occasions or times to prepare his children to serve in his divine purpose. Remember that word? God will use whatever instruments are necessary. And let me explain it this way. How many of y'all been to the doctor and uh, are facing some surgery? And, you know, you don't mind when the doctor reaches and gets some cotton or gets a little gauze and Oh, that feels good, and that's great, okay. Oh, uh, but then the doctor reaches for the needle. <laughs> oh, that's no fun. Or he reaches for the scalpel. Or he reaches for the forceps. These are painful instruments. 
but they're employed for the purpose of accomplishing your welfare, your good. And God's instruments of purpose, there is, <coughs> excuse me, I don't know what I've uh, inhaled here, but I can't get rid of it. God's instruments not only include birth, but also death, planting, but plucking up, laughter, but weeping, dancing, but mourning, sowing and rending, speaking and silence, love and hate, peace and war. Now, if we got to pick all the time, I suppose that, uh, you know, if I offered all the children in here for lunch, okay, here's your two choices. You can have liver, broccoli, asparagus, and spinach. Yummo, right? Or you can have pizza, potato chips, Coke, and ice cream. I suspect 100% are picking the pizza. Even though, if you had a steady diet of that, you'd either die of malnutrition or scurvy or obesity or all of the above. You see, God always gives his children not what they deserve, thank goodness for that, but also not what always they want by nature. But what they need is what he gives them, what's best, what's good. You see, verse 11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. In his time, everything is for eternal good. And the next phrase is also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work of God maketh from the beginning to the end. Faith is bowing to God's will and providence whether we understand the purpose or especially like it at the time or not. And questioning God's will and purpose is a foolish thing. And I'm guilty of it. I've done it. Why is this happening to me? Mm, nobody here else has ever said that here, right? Yeah. God's grace is required and to be sought after if we're to bow to his purpose. Why is that such a dangerous and self-destructive thing to do, questioning God's providence? If we question God's wisdom and purpose in what he does to me and mine, he allows a calamity to befall my family and I go, whoa. And he kills my loved one. And it's heartbreaking. I'm not trying to say it's not. But how much of a leap is it? If we question that, you know, the next thing we question is why he allowed his son to die. And we can't do that. Turn over with me to Joel. This is a hard little book to find. I, uh, I sort of fudged. I wrote page 1137 down. But it's before Jonah and, I, and Obadiah and Amos and... It's right before that. It's right after Hosea, if that helps you any. But Joel chapter 2. And all of these different times will end one day. They'll come to an end. How do I know that? Because Christ died. Sin is the cause of all the bad and sad times. Christ died. His blood was shed at Calvary to put away our sin, all of our bad. He endured all the sorrow, all the death, and all the hell so we might have no more sorrow, no more tears, and no more death in the life to come. This Joel chapter 2, look at verse 12 with me. Therefore also now saith the Lord, 
Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Let me give you this illustration to try to make the point I'm trying to make. When does a little child come running to mama? When they fell down and hurt their knee. (laughs) Uh, when uh, When does a wife come to her husband about money? When she doesn't have any. When she's run out. When does a husband come and talk to his wife over something that's really bothering him? When he needs some consolation. He needs some comfort, some help in the matter, something he can't figure out. The reason this, all these things on what people call the bad list, the reason all those things come our way is so that we can be taught we can't solve the problem. We have about our sin. We can't fix it. Only Christ can. And it's a daily reminder of us to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. If we finally understand we're dependent on him for everything, then maybe we'll begin to grasp where we're dependent on him for salvation. Turn back to our text. Verse 12 says, I know that there's no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. The person who knows the most about peace is the one who's been to war. I didn't know much about, I didn't know much about that stuff until they sent me to Korea. <laughs> I did not know much about that. Now, well, when they talk about what's going on I in, in the battlefield, I'm a lot more sympathetic about it. Who... Uh, who really appreciates prosperity is the one who's known poverty. The one who rejoices to be healthy is the one who's been really, really sick. I'll tell you, Brother Jeff, I don't know if he's ever been sick before, but now he knows. He knows something about this. And it's true of all of us. We just don't know these things until we experience them in time. And The sense of verse 12 is that no good comes or we have no deep appreciation for the goodness of our God until he allows us to experience what we think is his absence for a time. We don't really appreciate love until our Lord lets us see hatred. The hatred of others for us or worse yet, he gives us over to our own hatred in a matter. That'll teach us. And the last phrase of verse 12, and to do good in this life, in his life, by nature we can do no good as in a holy thing before God, but we can by grace be kind and good to one another. And listen to this point. As we experience the appointed times, be of comfort to others as they experience those times. And let me illustrate this for you. When, when somebody really has a trial, you know the worst thing in the world to say, I know just how you feel. Listen, when somebody's child dies, do you know what somebody actually said to Doris Mahan when her son was killed in Vietnam? It was a year later or something, and this woman came up to Doris and said, you know, I know just how you felt when your son died. 
my little poochie puppy died. I'm telling you, that's despicable, isn't it? But listen, on another scale, be conscious of this. You know, when your puppy dies, it's not the same as somebody's child dying. When, uh, it, 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 when your wife dies, it's not the same as that person's child dying. When your son dies, it's not the same as when their son died. It's just not. Don't say that. Because when Christ died, we can't enter into what it was with the true and living God. What it accomplished. Don't say those things. And you know what the evidence, that's why in this scripture it says, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just come up and just pat somebody. You don't have to say a word. If you have to say something, I'm so sorry. Or I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Whatever. But what to say, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. And in every one of these things, you, you set this switch in your mind. When something happens to you or somebody else, go look here. If we speak out of turn, it just makes things worse. Look at verse 13 here. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It's the gift of God. Use all the means God has given to each of us to relieve a circumstance when the Lord lays it on the heart. And in verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. Sometimes when we're in the midst of one of these times, we have to simply wait on the Lord's purpose to unfold for his good, for his will to be accomplished, and it will be accomplished. He will accomplish his purpose. And then, you know, with, with spiritual maturity, we'll come to acknowledge, desire, and even rejoice in everything our Lord sends our way. See verse 15, that which has been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. Whatever has happened, whatever is happening, and whatever will happen is his will. And it's for our good and his glory. Now, it either is or it isn't. Which is it? Uh, you know, I bet that you're sitting back there in the corner just thinking, what bad thing can I do to my son and my daughter when I get home? Is that what you're thinking? You say, that's ridiculous. No, no, you love them. You may be thinking about what good thing you can get them for lunch or what treat or whatever it may be. But it's, it's, you don't design evil on them. You think our God sends these times to punish us? That's ridiculous. No, it's for our good and his glory. And the season may just need to unfold. One more reason we must experience some of these times is this. Our Lord is weaning us off this world. If we experience enough death and killing and sickness and loss and weeping and mourning and hatred and rending and war and tearing down, no matter how much birth and healing and getting and laughing and dancing and love and building up and peace there is, someday soon, We'll be ready to go to be with Christ, who is peace. 
Christ who is all our wealth and all our life. The one who has healing in his wings, the one who is love, the one who's building a place for us. And not just because there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death or war, but rather because in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be just like him. We'll see how beautiful God's purpose has been in, the, in his time. Faith will give way to sight. Our sight, our sight will be his sight. And realize this, on my own, I don't do well in the most pleasant of times. Do you know I pretty much handle getting and losing about the same, bad both ways. When I'm getting it, I'm thinking it's all my good hard work and smarts and all that stuff. And when I'm losing, well, it's your fault. You see, by I handle them both just about as bad. You know, our Lord, he's perfect at all times. He's good to us when we're losing, and he's good to us when we're prospering. He's good to us in time of war. He's good to us in time of peace. Our Lord has, he's perfect at all times. Thank God he sees me in Christ and not as I am. What to do? Pray for grace and wait on Christ. God's purpose, his times are unfolding right on schedule, exactly as planned, and the time of his return is coming very soon for all of us, and we'll be ready when he gets here. Okay, we'll stop there.